Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, the official podcast of Light Reading covering the technology, finance, and people powering tomorrow's communications networks. I'm Phil Harvey, U.S. News Editor. And I'm Ray Lemaitre, Editor-in-Chief over in London. Hello, Ray. Hey. Uh, So the arrival of 5G networks is blurring the lines between what can be done on a fixed versus a mobile network. Companies who are building these networks are changing too, and the example this week is being provided by Verizon, the second largest U.S. operator. The company has restructured itself, and in the new year, in 2019, it will operate as four business units. Three of the units will be customer-facing. One of them will be turned around and hiding in a corner, I guess. (laughs) Um, So, first of all, let's discuss what's happening here. Ray, any ideas? <laughs> well, um, it's it's the inevitable. There's a new CEO, so needs to stamp um, the uh, some kind of authority or or change onto an organization. That pretty much always happens. What's interesting here, though, is that uh, Hans Vestberg has not cleared out uh, the uh, top tier uh, management room, which is a a smart move. Um, but I mean, it, on the face of it, um, this looks to to make a lot of sense. It kind of simplifies the structure of Verizon uh, in many ways. Um, and I think uh, any operator and going into the 5G era that's still talking about fixed services and mobile services instead of just services is doing itself a disservice. Right. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I, should, I should have had less coffee. <laughs> yeah, well, you could tell we're we're obviously writers and not broadcasters, but uh, <laughs> I, I I totally get what you're saying. Um, right out of uh, Ian Morris's story, who covered it for uh, Light Reading, um, the, the, so the one unit that's going to be kind of the oddball out, I think, is this Oath uh, Group, which is the uh, you know Verizon's sort of media and advertising activities. Um, that mimics AT and T because AT and T recently did a the similar thing. It took all of its advertising stuff and put it into a um, a spin out type company, um, and then it's going to uh, uh, the the other units inside of Verizon. So that's one of the units. The other unit is going to be this technology unit that sort of services the rest of the company and then there's going to be this um i guess the combined fixed and mobile operations um that's going to that one will be targeted toward the consumer market and the other will be targeted toward the business market so there are the four units you've got technology powering all of it you've got the business services the consumer services and then the media and advertising um part of it um you know, Vesberg's an interesting guy because he's he's restructured big companies before. He 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 did did um, I don't want to say something very similar, but he did something kind of like this at Ericsson, I guess. Well, he he, he certainly created a new structure there, um, but obviously that was uh, the the vehicle there. A lot of the time was uh, acquisitions. Yeah. Um, not not all under his watch, but he certainly continued what had been started, um, you know, about ten years ago in terms of the M and A strategy uh, at Ericsson. So obviously this is slightly different, but I feel that um, 
Yeah, one of the one of the things that did happen at uh, Ericsson um, towards the end of his tenure uh, was uh, a little bit of um, uh, issues within the middle management ranks, uh, where people weren't sure, uh, especially following the uh, the the hookup with Cisco when they announced the the big partnership with Cisco, oh, right. where a whole load of middle management didn't really know what their roles were going to be going forward, you know, what was theirs, what was Cisco's, um, you know, which departments or, or what teams were they going to be responsible for now and which sales would they be responsible for. And in a way, if you look at what's happening at Verizon now, from the outside, it's nice and neat. Consumer, mm-hmm. enterprise, tech, media, and and uh, OTT, I guess in a way you could call it. But internally, how much are people going to freak out? And that's something that really needs to be managed very closely so that people don't take their eye off the ball and stop doing their jobs right. uh, because that's what happens so often in these restructuring processes. Yeah, you get these weird situations where you have all this sales overlap and then people um, get to where they're arguing over accounts. You know, they're trying, <laughs> trying to make, yes. you know, they're all trying to make money for themselves individually and then they, they, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, who quote unquote owns this account? Is this a business account or a consumer account? And it previously, I guess everything's been sold by technology or by network almost. And right. So how do you divvy that up? Who, you know, uh, and this is where, you know, people, it's very often not technology is the problem. Right. It's the people. And somewhere along this line, some people who had a great deal of responsibility and maybe big teams maybe won't have that anymore. Um, and those are the kind of challenges that um, Vestberg and his senior management and his HR team will need to be very um, on top of uh, and address to make sure it doesn't end up becoming a, a little bit of a uh, – a uh, bit of an internal nightmare. Yeah, you also get the the sort of the how it's all represented to the customer. So, like in um, in cases where uh, I've seen these residential overlaps, like right after uh, Directv was purchased by AT and T, um, you know, they would actively call you up and sell Directv to an AT and T customer, knowing that you had UVerse or whatever, and and undercut. Um, their, their, their current product on the price, you know, they would, they would say, well, well, you know, and I would say like, well, I'm already under contract with AT&T, your parent company. I don't really want to change. And they'd be like, well, if you change now, we'll, we'll, we'll give you, you know, the same package for this much cheaper per month. It's, it's very strange, but mm. it, it was all, it was all people acting out of self-interest versus, you know, like, like AT&T was getting my money one way or the other, but now they get less of it. Thanks to that. Uh, <laughs> Somebody else at AT&T was getting the, uh, the commission on the sale. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. These are two separate business units and their P&Ls didn't cross. So obviously they were being incentivized in a slightly different way. And the guy who was selling the, you know, the direct TV accounts won out because he was um, more aggressive <laughs> on price and, and way more forgiving in terms of uh, contract details and stuff like that. So... Like I said, AT&T, of course, continues to get my money, but they get less and less of it each year. Um, And and this is their own damn fault, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Um, So there's two things I want to talk about now. One of them is the 
impact that 5G has on this whole restructuring and, and the restructuring of all the communication, big communication service providers. The second thing is the um, uh, Verizon having a unit that's just focused on business services and what that signals to the world, I guess. Um, it seems like it's a, you know, it kind of has a positive and negative aspect. The positive being that it lets customers know that you're, you know, you're definitely serious about business services and, um, that you're not, um, that it's not just some, uh, side business for you. It's actually part of, part of who you are as a company. Um, the negative could be that, you know, with it being isolated like that, I guess if that unit ever, um, has a momentum problem, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem to, you know, uh, grow quarter to quarter or whatever, that's going to be easier to call out and, uh, and easier for competitors to, to pick at. And right now, you know, especially with the cable operators being more active in this space, it does seem to be, uh, uh, something that, that Verizon maybe has more competition in than they've, than they've had in the past. More competition, but more opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think, you know, Verizon must feel that as well. Um, and, you know, one of the big stories around the, not only the uh, introduction of 5G services, but more generally the, the shift towards the telco cloud um, has been around, um, you know, un. Uh, getting rid of the that decades long bottleneck uh, of being able to deliver uh, profitable enterprise services and not just to the large enterprises but being able to tap into the SME market and you know I think it's going to be it'll be great and fascinating to watch how Verizon develops here but it must feel pretty confident um, that it's that it has the um, what it needs in place to, to to tap into this. And, you know, Verizon has been doing a lot of development in the past few years. Um, it's been perhaps a little less under the spotlight than AT&T in terms of its uh, telco cloud or its virtualization developments, but it's it's been making a lot of progress as well. And, you know, this could be a sign that it, it's, it's ready to step up to, to the next level and utilize um, its uh, virtual functions um, and its cloud assets and and also its its 5g services because I'm sure you know the um, the early 5g fixed wireless access mm-hmm. is obviously being targeted at uh, residential users but you know this is a, a gonna be a, a gigabit service that's a great yeah. service for the SME market as well so you know, this is a, a big opportunity for Verizon. So I look forward to, to, to following how, how that develops. And of course, you know, we, we've already seen it in, in recent days how, um, you know, trying to be coy uh, about certain lines of business can sometimes attract the wrong kind of attention. And we saw that with Apple. Right. Um, and, uh, and now is the time to step up and say, we're going to smash it in enterprise services. Um, so let's see how this plays out. Uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing these results presented in this new way. Yeah, I, I am as well. I think it'll be easier to understand the company in general too. Um, yeah. because it hasn't always been easy to pick apart what the, uh, what the operators are doing, um, at a, at a, you know, 
on, on a consumer level, especially because they, they sort of mix, uh, you know, wired and wireline results and sort of scatter, scatter the numbers around. Um, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I do want to talk a little bit more about 5g and how that's, uh, some, some recent, uh, developments in terms of how that's changing the way the operators are, are built as companies. We'll okay. be right back. We're back. Uh, Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil. That's Ray over there. Hey. Um, we're uh, talking about, you know, initially talking about Verizon's restructuring, but I wanted to briefly get into the role that 5G is sort of playing in um, helping the carriers clarify, you know, who they are as companies. Um, it, one of the things that I think, uh, and you alluded to this earlier, that I think is going to play into um, every strategy going forward for these carriers is this this whole idea of you know how serious they are about 5g in terms of it being an enterprise um you know something to sell to enterprises uh and also something that jump starts their consumer business um, especially in the u.s where the smartphone market is pretty well saturated um, so the only thing to really grow that market is to you know if you're not going to come up with any more interesting services you just have to get people to use more data and to do more things uh, on their device than they've ever done before and 5g certainly allows uh, allows for that um in the infrastructure side two things i've seen recently first of all this um verizon restructuring announcement but just a few weeks ago we saw um an executive at AT&T suddenly on the infrastructure side, he was, he used to be in charge of radio access networks and now he's in charge of radio access and fixed networks. Um, so even internally at AT&T, they've unified, um, what they're doing, uh, to accommodate 5g. They're looking at the network as just one network finally. Um, and even though they've all talked about that before, I don't think they've ever actually, um, put executives and titles and structure in place around that, uh, in the way that they're doing to address 5g. Yeah, I think there's, I think this is part of a growing realization that, um, that the term 5g has evolved from being the next generation of mobile to being synonymous with next generation networks and services. Cause that's really what it is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously not every service is going to be dubbed or branded or talked about as a 5G service, but it's the 5G infrastructure and processes that will underpin all services and applications, um, you know, within, you know, I don't know, seven years, 10 years, 13 years. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, we're only at the very, very beginning here. Um and and starting just with with some of these very isolated um, services with isolated deployments, but when you look at what five G is all about, um, you know it's not just mobile broadband, it's the um, it's the massive internet of things um, uh, supporting um, supporting that. You know the hundreds of millions or, or billions of endpoints that are going to be connected, um, and then the incredible. Uh, incredibly low latency 
um, high bandwidth um, services that will come largely from the enterprise sector. And you realize this, this is a, a full, uh, a real massive transformation for the operators um, from, you know, from, from, from the core to the edge, moving towards cloud, um, you know, making nearly everything they do in terms of their processes much more automated. Not com- I, th- I think zero touch automation is a nice term, uh, but something that is uh, is almost like the unachievable goal. Yeah. Uh, but you know, heading towards that and and taking it step by step. You know, ultimately the. F- uh, what companies, or what the operators are looking looking at in terms of evolving every part of their 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 technology and process structure for five G is going to underpin everything they do, and and that goes for you know all the way down to the to the very very edge of the network, and what what's being built, you know, fiber access has always been thought about in terms of fixed broadband services whether it's for enterprises or for consumers in the past but that that fiber access infrastructure is going to be absolutely essential for delivering all manner of of services uh, that will be that could be dubbed uh, 5g mm-hmm. um, so it, it it makes total sense to, to have somebody just in charge of services and infrastructure and not really, um, differentiate between um, mobile and fixed anymore, uh, um, you know. And, and obviously, it's the larger operators that will take the first steps down that line because they've got the resources and the right. strategic imperative to make to take the first moves. I think that's where it gets interesting as you get these um, the capabilities of what's being delivered, whether it's via five G and what it promises, or via fiber and what it can do. The, the the capabilities on paper are very close together, and so then it comes yep. down to a conversation of okay, what is the actual what does the business actually need, and who is AT and T or Verizon or whoever partnering with to bring all of that uh, together, and uh, once they um, once they answer those questions, it may be a fiber conversation after all, or it may be a four G conversation instead instead of a five G conversation, but you know, that that's going to be up to the individual thing. I, I think it's a much smarter way to organize their business. Um, like I said, they've, they've been hinting at it for years, but this is the, the, this seems to be the catalyst that finally gets them there. Um, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's go, uh, let's go off topic a bit. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Uh, Let's talk movies and music, and in particular, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, something that's completely uh, not 5G related. (laughs) And in the States, are people referring to it as Bo Rap? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, My my son uh, went to see it this weekend, and he called it that Queen movie. So (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) Which, of course, in the UK would mean something completely different, depending <laughs> yeah. on how old you are yeah. or th- th- when the last time you went to the cinema was. They're both accurate either way, but it's still it's still kind of funny. Um, uh, so, you, did you see a Bohe- the Bohemian Rhapsody uh, movie? What uh, what was your impression if you did see it? Indeed, I, I saw Bo Rap, <laughs> and uh, 
I think um, I, I can see why uh, it received a very lukewarm reception mm-hmm. from um, from reviewers, uh, but I can also see why it um, has really um, generated incredible box office uh, takings uh, from people who are walking out and going, I loved it. That was great. Not walking out and going, I wish I hadn't spent my money on that. That's two hours I'll never get back. Right. And, and you know, I'm pretty particular about about my movies, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. I, I guess my, my age helps. I grew up with Queen. Right. Um, and I've always been a, a you know, a, a, a fan of, of some of their uh, music more than others. I've certainly sung Bohemian Rhapsody to karaoke, uh, the song itself at, at karaoke too many times. Um, uh, but it was it, it was just a feel good, fun movie and trying to, you know, look at it at, at as as anything more than that would have been is the mistake that I think the reviewers have made. Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes the, the they get a little wrapped around the axle about what. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, I cried a lot uh, at the end. Based on the movie, or were you eating something specific? <laughs> no, I, I'm 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 quite emotional when it comes to uh, to these kind of cinematic experiences, and the last twenty minutes was uh, was uh, was challenging. Yeah. Well, that, that's a, that, that's, I think what you, you know, brought out is like, that's really to me, what makes the movie is that if it was good storytelling and it was done well and you enjoyed it, then, you know, we can put well, aside, what do you want? yeah, we can put aside all the critical uh, stuff at that point. Very um, much so. I, I think it's interesting too, because my, you know, kind of another knock on effect of this, my son, uh, well, there's, there's two things. So I didn't see the movie yet. I will. Um, but I've noticed on cable uh, television, there's been an awful lot of rerunning of, uh, much to my delight of, uh, old queen, uh, concerts, uh, from, yeah. you know, from like the Monterey pop festival and some others. And just the fact that they were all shot on film and, you know, with really expensive gear from back in the day, it do, they do have that cinematic look to them and they're, and they're just gorgeous to hear and to see, um, uh, just amazing, uh, kind of moments in time. Uh, to, to, to get to enjoy again. And I, I'm glad the, the film is bringing back the enthusiasm for those concerts. Um, the second thing, uh, kind of the knock on effect is my, you know, my 14 year old son came down to breakfast today and he's just sort of humming a song and he's like, we need to listen to some queen. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we do. <laughs> and it seems like if I had suggested that on my own, he would have, uh, you know, told me to, you mean you didn't say to him, "Don't stop me now"? Yeah, Come on. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I, it, it, it's it's cool because it's such a. Um, it almost doesn't matter what type of uh, uh, you know genre of music you might have liked at one time. They've certainly tried it in a song at some point. You know that yes. band. That band was all over the place. In a good way, yeah, in the best way. Um, what's and, uh, do you have a favorite album of theirs in particular, or did, or was it just sort of the collection? You know, no, I think just uh, over time, Queen always being there with with, with uh, you know great songs over the years. And I've just googled Live Aid, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure that a month ago, if you googled Live Aid, you know, you would have got a certain set of you know. Uh, Google suggesting a, a certain set of results. Right. But if you type in Live Aid now, apart from just Live Aid coming up, 
The next suggestion is Live Aid Queen. Oh, cool. And, um, you know, I don't know what the um, uh, what the the viewing numbers uh, on 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 that particular on those um, uh, YouTube clips would have been uh, a month ago, but I bet they are massively higher now because I've read I've read so many things on social media where people have said, you know, I went home from that from that film and the first thing I did was uh, watched the actual performance of Freddie Mercury and Queen at, at Live Aid. Okay. Um, yeah, That's and it was an incredible, it was an incredible performance, and I've got to say, really well done um, uh, in the movie. So you know, oh. yeah, my my son said the the concert scenes held up. He said they were they were uh, absolutely uh, uh, recreated uh, very well. Uh, yeah. So that's cool too. Yeah, I just love it when uh, when something gets a bit of a boost from popular culture and it's not annoying. That's a, that's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when the critics are proved wrong. Yeah, yeah, you know, they can stuff it. Um uh, <laughs> I think they're just so used to panning Marvel movies and stuff like that that it's, you know, uh that that, that they've maybe gone on autopilot. Uh hey, before we uh well, we, need mean, to, we, we need to yeah. wrap it up here. Um Right. Where is uh, uh, where can people uh, find you and your fine work besides lightreading.com? Uh, well, uh, the, the thing about having a name like Ray Lamotra, there is only one of me. So that name on LinkedIn and Twitter. Perfect. Um, you can find me at lightreading.com slash Phil uh, on Twitter at future Phil. And uh, thanks as ever for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. See you next time. Thank you.